Seeking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben, and I don't, I don't know why, why I'm so fired up for today's show. I'm so ready to go, Cody. I'm ready to all the people watching on YouTube. I'm excited about all the new subscribers, all the commenters, all the... Maybe it's a new year, 2024. That's not our first show of the new year. I don't know what's, I don't know what's going on. Maybe because it's very cold here. It's very, it went under 50 degrees Fahrenheit, and uh, what is like 12 in Celsius? How cold is 10? How cold are we going in? Why do people use Celsius for the body? It's great for, it's great for science experiments and things like that, but, uh, you know, Fahrenheit is... Cody, how you doing? Please, Ben, please tell me, <laughs> please tell me about how cold it is in California. I'm, I'm actually, riv- I'm truly riveted to find out right now what the cold temperature is in California. Have you have you heard the comedian who does the the American measurements are better? Uh, like, but he, the temperature one's really funny. He's like zero is zero is cold, one hundred is one hundred percent hot, and fifty is halfway in between. And he's like, anything over one hundred is too hot. Just don't go outside. I yeah. kind of dig that because you go the other way then too. Like you get to like negative twenty degree. Like if you know what negative twenty, negative twenty five degree wind chill feels like, like, that's like my face hurts kind of thing. Like truly, I'm like I actually don't want my face anymore. I know what you're saying. I think today is a special day, Ben. Like the vibes have just been good. Like there's been, you know, never mind. I'll just say the vibes have been good, and I'm I'm feeling good today. I'm feeling this is happy, Cody. We have happy Cody today, Ben. Is it because you've been watching uh, the Knicks and the Raptors all week? Is that why? You know, I actually have. I've watched a good deal. That might be the only two teams. I mean, obviously, besides the teams that they've played. But those are the only two teams that I've specifically sought, sought mm. out over mm. the last few days. But I, I enjoy watching these teams. Yeah. Yeah. This trade has really done it. Do you, do you, are you going to weigh in with a classic Cody take on how you feel about this trade and the, and the prospects of it? Or have you just been uh. enjoying the fact that these two teams, I feel like, Toronto is suddenly much more interesting, and um, the the we'll talk about I guess the Emmanuel quickly experiment unleashed. He gets to go from a bench player to a starter. Uh, that's spawned some questions that I want to ask you about. And then you turn into the Knicks, and it's like, I mean, I, you, Tom Thibodeau must be so excited to have. OG Ananobi. I think against the Timberwolves the other day, he asked him to guard all five players on the same possession, not like switching. He was just like, OG, now go guard Gobert. Now run over and go guard some Edwards. Yeah, guarded everybody in that game. It was actually, I thought OG had a tough go at it a couple times because I think his strength, he has a couple strengths on defense, particularly his strength. Like, it's just a big, bulky dude, Ben. Um, But, like, against the 76ers, he was just tasked with guarding Tyrese Maxey, who has to be, like, what, six inches and 100 pounds lighter than him. Like, I I felt so bad for the dude. I'm like, you are just not ready for this kind of situation unless you're switching off a little bit more. But it worked. Like, the Knicks have been, I think his on-off numbers these last few games have been incredible. I don't really want to go into a deep dive analysis yet, but because you did ask me a question about how I feel. If you want to backtrack like a week, Ben, two weeks, whatever it might be, um, I thought this was a clear-cut victory for the Raptors. Raptors, I genuinely did. Yeah, I was like, this is terrible for the Knicks. Like, what are they doing? But now that I've watched a few of the games, I think losing Emmanuel quickly off the bench hurts them just because, you know, I really liked their bench mob mentality. I liked the verve that some of the bench guys came off with, especially when it was like when Hartenstein wasn't starting and even Chenzo was coming off the bench and Grimes and quickly. I'm like, this is just a fun bench unit. And they kind of lost that verve off the bench. They still have a nice little verve there. Um, but OG kind of fits into exactly the kind of player that that Thibodeau wants. 
And I'm not sure. I think I'm pretty split on it right now. I think both teams made out very well in the early go with it. Well, I think maybe the short term, it's got that win-win thing going on. My brain definitely went to the long term, which is why I also thought Toronto got a really nice haul back. Um, my, My assumption was that they've been shopping Ananobi around for a long time and couldn't really get a price that they liked. And then to get a player like quickly... Uh, it's it's more of the long term thing that's fascinating to me, and so let's let's back up for a second, because Cody, the the big thought I had about this trade and these kinds of trades is, can you take a player who was on the bench or in a small role when he's still young, and move him into more primacy, and kind of find, for lack of a better word, like a hidden star, and I'm not saying quickly is going to come out and average 25 points a game for the rest of the year or anything like that. But we have seen time and time again, we've talked about it time and time again on this show. I have a video on the Thinking Basketball YouTube channel about it. Your teammates and your opportunity dictate your stats. And in the case of young players, like having opportunity, having primacy as the on-ball initiator or more minutes as sort of an offensive centerpiece it can change everything. And there were little signs in New York that we can talk about later with quickly, but that that's that's where my head started with this, which was like, even if you think OG Ananobi's clearly the best player in the trade right now, is does this have the potential to be one of those trades where in like five years you're like, why did they why did they trade like the sixty seventh best player for this guy who's like now made a couple all star teams or whatever the whatever the potential ceiling could be if you're a believer in the dark horse sort of ability of Emmanuel quickly. Do you think that it's uh, a common belief that quickly is the best player in the trade? Like if you polled a bunch of NBA people, do you think they would, most people would say him? No, I don't. No, I, I don't I, either. My guess is, my guess is it's more mixed. I know I've heard people talk about this week, how, you know, they think quickly is the best player in the trade. So I, I do know that opinion is not like uh, an outlier, a minority opinion, you know, but I, I just also don't get the sense that if you were to talk to like 25 or 30 executives around the league that they would all go, oh, yeah, Quickly's better than OG Ananobi right now. Yeah, I think I agree with that. And I think it is kind of tough because both of them are are very different in the ways that they play. But if we do stick with Quickly in terms of like going from that sort of bench role to a starting role, um, I don't want to say he's this good. But like the first guy I kind of think of as Manu Ginobili, who's like role shifted around in a way to give him a little bit more primacy. I think moving him to the bench actually gave him more of an opportunity to score more. But also like the thing about Manu is that I think people kind of act like he always came off the bench. Like if you go and just check out how many games he started between like 2005 and 2006, he started in over half their playoff games, right? It was like out of 26 out of their 36 playoff games, he started in them. And I know there's some seasons like 2000 and 2007, he came off the bench for all 20 of them. 2014, when he's 36, he came off the bench for all of them. But throughout there, he started a few amount of times. So I do wonder if like when you say a budding sort of star with quickly, are you imagining like this kind of flexible role where it's like maybe you come off the bench, maybe you start depending on where it is? Or do you think uh, like how high do you think quickly ceiling is depending on how he's used on a team? Oh, boy, that's that's interesting. I, I, he's only 24. Um, I think the ceiling is still there. I think I think there's still a lot of interesting things about his ceiling that could make him really good. Let, let's let's put it that way. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't equate it to Ginobili necessarily. I mean, 
isn't the classic case study for this James Harden and being sort of down the pecking order in Oklahoma City and then going to Houston? And, of course, Harden, well, what A, was really good when, when he moved to Houston already, and B, continued to get better throughout that decade, sort of every couple of years adding to his game and things like that. So I don't think there's an expectation that you have an MVP, but, you know, that that's where I think the promise of the trade is so interesting because to me, let's, let me ask you this. Do you think that Ananobi is kind of a baked pie? Like there's not much more necessarily that you're going to get. He's in the heart of his career. Uh, he is a good, very good defender. He's a stalwart defender, super versatile defensively. Likes that corner three. I don't know if he can add a lot of accuracy to the to the top of the key three. I, I was tripping out earlier because it came to my attention that Ananobi's wide open three point percentage is in like the ninety first percentile over the last three years. And I was like, now wait a second. Now wait. I was like, now wait a second. Stats, you slow down. When I watch basketball, and OG Ananobi is left open at the top of the arc. One, teams aren't freaking out about him. That's why he's open. And two, my brain doesn't feel like he's making a lot of shots above the break from 24, 25 feet. And that's actually true. His percentages above the break are like okay or not that great. But then in the corner, he's a flamethrower. And he takes a ton of threes from the corner. He takes like half his threes from the corner, which is one of the largest shares, I think, going in the league right now. And he makes like 45 or 46% of his corner threes. So that's a cool thing. He's like a really juiced up, interesting kind of 3 and D player. But I also wonder at this point in his career, at his age, at his build, the role he's now playing in New York, like, is he just that guy? He's just a piece that you put out there for defense and these other little things versus the potential to expand his game. Yeah, I think I think in terms of like what you're talking about with him being like a what would you say a baked pie? Did you say a baked, a baked potato? Pie. Yeah, a no, baked he's, pie. A baked <laughs> pie. He's twi- <laughs> he's 26 and a half basically. He's going to be 27 just after the season. <laughs> I think a baked pie is my metaphor, but if you want to go to a baked potato, see the thing about a baked potato is you got to start putting some what are you putting in there? Butter and sour cream and chives and you putting all sorts of accoutrements in that thing. Well, I think that's exactly it with him. Like he's not just the baked potato, but we have all the the dressings <laughs> the on potato. top of it right okay. now, right? We yeah. got all the dressings at the moment. You got the the bacon bits and the sour cream and whatever else. But the thing is with him, I think I buy that. I don't know like how many more tricks he's adding. But I also I feel weird like saying that about somebody who's 26. Like I think we've seen quite a few players peak a little bit later than that. So how much better can the passing get? How much better can the handling get? I it kind of feels like he's maxed out the shooting ability at this point. It kind of feels like he's maxed out the defensive ability at this point. So I think like those periphery handling, passing, creation sorts of things, if it's going to happen, it's going to be there. But I do think watching him being on the Raptors these last few years, it felt like a a stagnation through redundancy. Right. A lot of the like his size, his defensive capabilities, especially with Scotty Barnes being there. um, It feels like they all kind of encroached on each other just a little bit. And so I feel like he could actually be better in terms of like being in a better situation that just like needs somebody like him. So in terms of like the actual skills he's adding, sure, maybe he'll improve some stuff on the margins, but I don't necessarily see a, a skill leap coming from him. But depending on how he's used going forward, I could see like an impact leap, not saying that the Knicks are necessarily the place where that's going to be. Um, but I, I could see that in a particular situation with him. Yeah, I buy that. As, as you were saying it, though, I was wondering, like, are the Knicks, are the Knicks the team 
that need a player who's like a six six wingy defender. Is that the kind of is that the kind of thing that the New York Knicks are sorely lacking? Uh, although it has been cool, I, I think their vibes and the energy in New York and and the reason why it's a win win trade potentially in the short term is because you already have Jalen Brunson. It continuing to expand his game, primacy, on-ball dominance. I think, as of recently, I haven't checked it today, he led the league in time of possession, so the ball just goes through him all the time in the half court. And, like, can you get enough offense from the rest of the team there? Here's a fun fact, Cody. Hmm. The Knicks are one of three teams in the league, if you look at the thinkingbasketball.net team stats that we have up and, and, and look at to research and keep tabs on what's going on in the league. The Knicks are one of three teams in our adjusted offensive and defensive ratings that take into account like shooting luck and strength of schedule and things like that. They're top 10 in adjusted offense and defense. The only other two teams in the league that fit that balanced description are the Boston Celtics and the Oklahoma City Thunder. So mm. there, there's, it's kind of a cool thing. The Knicks are, Knicks are like sneaky good. And uh, I think this potentially takes away a redundancy. It feels weird because they have so many of these players, but you can see right away how Ananobi can kind of, as a singular player, fill that role of a switchy, versatile defender, juiced up 3 and D guy better than anyone else, and then hopefully you don't lose the offense with quickly because you already have a guy like Brunson. I want to say this nicely because I, I don't mean it in a mean way because I'm, I'm a fan of R.J. Barrett, right? Is it about oh, me? Oh, it's it, about R.J. Barrett. It's about okay. R.J. Barrett. Yeah, I, I like his driving game sometimes. He, he attacks the rim. And when he's like, I'm going to go at the rim and not necessarily go into like shoot these jump shots mode, I think he's an effective little offensive player. But I do think on the Knicks, I didn't necessarily love the fit next to Randall and Brunson. I just didn't think he complimented what they did well. And I think that's something that I've noticed with Ananobi is like, this is a fairly low load player. Like, I probably could look it up in the thinkingbasketball.net database right now, but I thought his load was like below 30 at the moment, which is definitely somebody that's not creating much he doesn't have much of a burden uh in terms of everything that's going around him and when you have somebody like Brunson like like you said is near the top of the league in time of possession you have somebody like Randall that likes to dance with the ball a little bit more having somebody that's more okay like hanging out in the corner maybe coming off a pin down once in a while and then just like sure I'll I'll guard Maxi this possession sure I'll switch on to Embiid this possession Anthony Edwards great Carl Anthony Towns okay Rudy Gobert I got this like I, I think like that sort of thing is the sort of low load shooter. I don't I don't want to say three and D because it feels I, I just don't necessarily like the three and D thing. But I do think like that sort of a vibe of player fits in pretty well, especially next to some of these other guys on the Knicks. Because I think like there's an interesting juxtaposition between the way that OG revs his engine. He doesn't strike me as a particularly high motor kind of player. Right. Especially when you see guys like Dante DiVincenzo or, or Grimes out there or or Isaiah Hartenstein, like these guys are just going right. And so, like, it's interesting to bring this high energy, high octane, like ah, everywhere on defense, as opposed to just like I'm going to squat this tree at the same time while I'm just like not letting you get into the paint and I'm going to knock down a corner three or two. So um, addition by subtraction by getting rid of Barrett just because of the fit. And so I do think this is a solid place for Ananobi to showcase those skills. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. 
Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Okay, let me give you my theory now for why Emmanuel Quickly might be a potential star that was hidden in his role in New York having to come off the bench. Um, first of all, have you seen Tyrese Maxey play? Yes, yes, I have. Oh, a couple times. Okay, yeah. okay, so there's a ton of similarities in their games, right? Not just the fact that they like to wear the same number and the same hair and went to Kentucky, but they are both super quick. Quickly, his namesake, is incredibly quick off the bounce. He is a tremendous shooter, from the outside, Cody. And the thing that jumps out to me right away with him is how he's able to get into his shot off the ball in different angles and different ways. So whether that's like a handoff game or movement and like really creative cuts to get into space, and then the release on some of these shots where he catches and turns and squares and quickly fires. Uh, again, we're going to have the thing with quickly being quick, <laughs> but like that's what's happening. So he can play handoff. He can play and come off a screen, um, transition, cut back, pick up a handoff and fire from like 27 feet. And he's just an elite shooter. He just has that going. Staying off ball so you can play next to other elite talent. He can catch it, up fake, and then attack the closeout. And he has that floater game, which we've also seen from Maxi. And Maxi's is probably a little bit more expanded than Quickly's. He can like touch it off the glass and things like that. But Quickly's great with that floater. He's very quick with the up fake and getting to the basket. And that's all off ball stuff. And then on ball, he can kind of pull up from three in pick and roll situations and use that shot and that speed as well to kind of like fake you out in the pick and roll and get downhill and attack the basket when there's space. So I think just right away, there's kind of like a blueprint for a player offensively who if he can handle the volume, and I think he can, could be a similar archetype guard to what we're already seeing in Philadelphia. And I'm going to talk about what you said with the on-ball attack because something that I noticed, and he uses his quickness really well here, uh, is in rejecting the screen. Like you have a pick and roll coming up, somebody sets the screen here, and instead of going and using it, he's so good at kind of like really slightly going that way and then just going the opposite direction. It completely throws off the defender. And like you said, it's the quickness. It's his, his first step that allows him to get into the paint. The finishing ability, Ben... I'm a little less impressed with it. I think like he maybe takes off a little too soon sometimes to try and finish a shot. He maybe should take that gap dribble. You've talked about it quite a bit with Kevin Durant, but there's a lot of times where I'm like, it's one more dribble, just take one more dribble and that pass is going to open up or take one more dribble and and this shot will just be a little bit easier. Like get, get a little bit more gnashing in your offense instead of like trying to take this like wrong footed lefty, like 10 foot layup sort of thing. But beyond that, like the speed that he's able to get the paint in is, is fantastic. And then off ball, what really helps is not just the shooting, but he's so decisive when he's off ball, so decisive, like he catches and he can get that shot up really quickly. But what I actually like a lot better with him is when he catches and he just immediately like darts into the paint. Like the guy is just like left in the dust because they're trying to close out to him. And like Tyrese Maxey swinging it to the opposite side, boom, all of a sudden he's getting into the paint. So I do love the decisive action off ball. 
And then on ball, like I said, using his burst of speed to be able, be able to get downhill. If we're directly comparing to Maxi, I don't quite think the passing is there. I don't think the finishing is quite there. The handle is quite there. But I see what you're saying with the archetype of the kind of style that he brings to his offensive game. Yeah, it's, I completely agree with that. The passing is not quite there. Uh, sometimes he'll miss a pass or the, the idea is there, but the accuracy can be a little bit off. But I also wonder how much that comes from opportunity. And you talk about things like taking an extra dribble or f- changing his strides and getting a little bit more creative as he finishes. He's 24 years old. This feels like something he can realistically improve as he gets more repetitions. And think of his former teammate. We looked at Jalen Brunson when he was in Dallas, and we said the signs are there for him to be a great starting point guard. And he went to New York and had that opportunity, and he's expanded his game. Now, quickly, when you stay with the offense, when Brunson was off the court in New York this season, quickly averaged 27 points, excuse me, 20 Let me try that again. (laughs) Quickly averaged 26 points per 75 possessions on 60% true true shooting. Hmm. That's actually slightly better scoring output than what we saw from Maxi in Philadelphia when Harden was off the court or when Embiid was off the court last season or the year before. So this kind of indicators that he could be able to handle more volume and scale a little bit more offensively are there. And I think we've seen a little of that from Toronto just in the sort of opening few games he's played and he's been given more opportunity to fire and attack and kind of uh, increase his volume that way. And again, kind of like I was talking about with uh, Ananobi being in New York, I think there was maybe a little bit of redundancy with Quickly in New York, as much as I liked watching him there. But, like, Grimes needed to get a little bit more minutes. Brunson's another smaller guard that needs to handle the ball and stuff. Whereas the the Raptors, they have a bunch of these bigger guys, like the Pascal Siakam, the Scotty Barnes. Like, these guys aren't navigating in the same area that uh, Emmanuel Quickly is. In fact, he's actually out there doing things that they really aren't skilled at. Like Siakam, I know there's been a lot of discourse about his three-point shot. I think it may have gone up recently, but he's a legit shooter, which is something that the Raptors have really been looking for in one of their like key players, especially this season with Fred Van Vliet not being there. Um, but yeah, and another thing I like about Quickly, Ben, I hate to be like super nerdy and reductive about it, but you look at the dude's like yearly on-off ratings, his on-off net ratings, this guy's having a pretty nice signal. I mean, we're looking at play-by-play stats right now, and I'm turning my mic along as I go. This is this is some excellent work right here. You know, we're talking about like a, a plus six and a half, a plus 13 and a half, a plus eight, a plus eight, a plus eight, Ben. Like, those aren't like weak signals. That's the kind of... Uh, the kind of arc you see in the young player that's going to blossom into like a long, I don't want to say all-star, sub-all-star kind of career where you're just contributing to high-level teams. So he's led the Knicks in plus-minus every year he's been there. And that's pretty rare, okay? And if you look at the list of players to do that in their first four seasons, you'll get names like Chris Paul, Shaquille O'Neal, Dirk Nowitzki, Tim Duncan, Baron Davis, Jason Tatum, Jason Kidd, LeBron James. You'll you'll just get a list of mostly stars. There's the occasional Kyle Korver or Lou Williams, but it's very rare for him to do this or anyone to do this. And I think that's why there's such an intrigue for me because if you look at those numbers, they say he's really good defensively. 
They say he's been really, really moving the needle defensively. And that's another point of fascination. What happens to his defense when you ask him to do more on offense, number one? And number two, if you look at his defense, why? Like, he's a small guard. He's like Tyrese Maxey. So when you watch him on ball, I don't think it's electric. I don't think that's what his strength is. Uh, He can move his feet a little bit, but he's small. Some guys can put their body into him. He certainly has the size issue when he switches on players. I know in the Christmas game against the Bucs, Giannis, he was like great position, but Giannis just stamped him once and probably got him one other time because of his size. So that's always going to be an issue that I think he's going to have to combat. But man, Cody, he has great instincts for where to position himself off ball. He always is biasing toward the paint, meaning he, he's like lingering around the paint, looking to see what's happening, throwing his body in front of a roller and just deterring that roller from getting a layup or something easier, making him kick it out or preventing the pass from getting there in the first place. He communicates a ton on defense. They, the Knicks often had him sort of on the back line talking a ton in different communication, uh, different coverages out there and things like this. And then the last thing, which I know you love, is the motor. He's just flying around and bouncing around out there. And that, from a team perspective, is a really interesting set of skills to have that makes you say, okay, if he's on a good team, he can continue to just be a positive impact, quote unquote, winning player because his overall team defense is something that fits with a bunch of different types of schemes and he's really aware and he can contribute positively in that way. I'm so glad we're here because I do think that defense is the fascinating point about Emmanuel quickly. Because like you said, you watch like traditional defense, you're like, he's not locking people up. You can't just throw him out there and be like, Tyrese Maxey isn't scoring tonight. That's not quickly his like game. That's not what he's going to be doing. But the first thing that pops out, like you said, it, it blows my mind that this is he's a six three guard Ben. Six three, but he has a six eight arm span, like six eight wingspan. So he's able to get in and contest some people. It doesn't matter like what big man is kind of rolling into the paint or what's going on out in the like the perimeter. He constantly loves getting in front of the rim and getting his arms up. And even though he's not necessarily like a defensive playmaker in the sense that he's like, you know, he's sprinting in the paint and he's getting a steal. He's sprinting in the paint and like blocking a shot at the rim. But when he stands and his arms are straight up, he makes life really difficult for pretty much anyone that's not like obviously like Embiid or or Jokic in the paint. But he can legitimately rim rim protect a little bit just by the sake of like being there, being willing willing to throw his body out there and use his length in a way. And the thing that I love about it too, Ben, is the high motor. We need to. There needs to be something. There needs to be more studies on on motor and length in terms of contesting. Because he will rotate to the paint, arms straight up, stop some kind of shot there. Person kicks to the corner, he immediately flies to the corner, and he already he's not blocking the shot, but he's there. The hand is in the face, and I'm like, this is what you want on defense. Like you want a guy that's putting in multiple efforts. I'm thinking of one play. I can't even think of exactly who they're playing, but he contested on the perimeter two different three-point shots from two different players in like a five-second span. Like he gives it his absolute all. And when you think about like what you want from a defensive team, a defensive player. Like, he has that. Like, that energy you bring is just, in. it's infectious. Is that the word I'm trying to say? It's infectious. Uh, it, he, he's just fantastic. Well, I, I enjoy watching him on defense, actually, more than I do on offense. Yeah, I think that was against the Kings. That was uh, just a, a, a perfect quickly play 
where his closeouts, he, he had one closeout, and I think this speaks to his instincts defensively. Like he has one closeout where he went to close out to the wing and then realized the extra pass is coming and, and kind of like changes his angle mid-closeout and also gets the closeout on the corner. And it's just little things like that where it's like, yes, he's small, but if he can, and if you look at the Knicks rim protection when he's on the court versus off the court, even as a guard, they were way, way better last year when he was on the court. Is that noise? Is that a coincidence? I don't know, but I think the signs are there when you watch the way he bounces around away from the ball as a good defender. So, yeah, he's fascinating to me because you have a defensive piece where I'm not going to say he's going to be like an all-defensive all guy or anything like that, but you have a defensive piece that could be positive for a small guard, and you have an offensive piece where it seems realistic that he could grow a little bit as a passer, a little bit as a ball handler. Patience is an area that I think he can learn, not just always going 100 miles an hour when you have the ball, slowing down in the pick and roll game and learning those reads a little bit better. It feels realistic that he could grow in the next couple of years there. And like I said, his indicators in the past when Brunson has gone to the bench uh, have already put him in a place where you think like he could be a pretty solid offensive player when he's given more primacy like he has in Toronto. The defensive point you bring up, too, about, like, is he going to be an all-D guy? Probably not. There's a lot of really good defensive players in the league, and I, I just don't quite think he's going to be to that level. But here's here's an actual bias. I'm going to admit a bias to you right now, Ben. We're going to go on the couch, and I'm going to tell you something that I'm actually biased about when it comes to analyzing teams and players. I like teams, and I like players that don't really have true weaknesses, right? They don't have weaknesses, and they allow you to be scheme variable, right? Diverse schemes that you can throw out there. And when you have a guard that's able to rotate down to the paint and actually provide a little bit of value there so that you can have some other stuff going on out on the perimeter, whether it be like Pascal's not in the paint anymore, Boucher's not in the paint anymore, Scotty Barnes isn't in the paint anymore, and they can kind of fly out and, and quickly can go in the paint and sort of, you know, do a little bit of that. I think that just opens up so much that your your team can do schematically where it's not like, all right, no matter what we do, these guys have to be down by the paint. So the fact that he adds that element to it all, it kind of bumps his defensive or at least his overall evaluation in my mind just a little bit. This is kind of like the whole Anthony Edwards versus versus Tyrese Halliburton conversation we had when we were talking about the 25 under 25. I just like these guys that like I don't necessarily see how you see how you can scheme against them. Do we have other things to talk about today? We got we got really into this because I'm just fascinated by this idea that you have these young players that are coming off the bench or behind players ahead of them in the pecking order, and then they kind of get the keys to the car and and things happen. You know, uh, Baron Davis. You know, he was like coming off the bench when he was like a rookie or something, and then anyway, that's just that's too early 2000s. Who can remember that far back? I would love to do a Baron Davis deep dive. I think Baron Davis is secretly like one of the more fascinating players. Like when you talk about a playoff riser, like regular season numbers are fine. Like obviously he was part of the We Believe Warriors and like the was it the Hornets before that? I don't know. Those teams changed names so many times. But then he went into the playoffs and he just like I don't know, man. I don't know if it's kind of the Anthony Edwards build where he brings some defensive acumen and he's just like impossible to stay in front of and he's so strong. We, we could talk about Baron Davis for the next hour if you want. Like, that sounds great. Well, I think we have to uh, acknowledge the latest video that we've made just for you. Just for you. It, w- it was a LeBron James video about how he's pushing back father time. Um, I-, I just think it's remarkable. 
And originally when I set out to do the video, I just ended up doing the whole thing on LeBron because there was so much and it was so he, he's the most captivating <clears throat> case study. But we also have these players like Stephen Curry, who I don't know why I used his full name. No one does that anymore. Um, it was Stephen Wardell Curry. Uh, he, he or is it Wardell Steph? What's his first name? Is his first name Wardell? I'm, I thought it was I'm, Wardell. I yes, thought it was yes. Wardell Stephen Curry. Yes, that makes much more sense. Uh, but so so you have Steph Curry, you have Kevin Durant. There are these players, Chris Paul recently, probably until the last year or two, who have been in their mid to late 30s, who have played great. And the original thing in my head that I know you wanted to talk about after this video is just, are players playing longer now? Are they playing longer? Are they better at an older age? Is is it exercise science? Is it the way the game works? Is it, is it even true? Is it even true to say that, you know, more older players are dominating in this era than past eras? So um, that's sort of... That's my takeaway after after going through that video and never getting to tackle that question is I wanted to discuss it with you in front of the, you know, you're on the couch already. Let's get just get on the couch. Let's get in our pajamas and let's just talk some basketball about what we're what we're I don't know why you have to be in pajamas to talk basketball, but it sounded no. cozy. No, I think we should probably do this in a suit sometime. We need to really button up one of these times and really like, go for it. Like a cigar and a cognac. Sure. As neither of those things sound particularly great, but like the vibe is exactly what I'm going for. That sounds amazing. Can I can I call out a player that doesn't get brought up in this conversation enough? I'm going to then. Mike Conley is 36 years old right now. Like mm. he is very solidly here, and I, there's a lot of the discourse is right. Like he's a very important cog when it comes to like the Timberwolves' success and handling the ball and just bringing like veteran presence, his shooting ability, his ability to never turn the ball over as a point guard. Um, all of those things are great, and he's tiny. He's like one of these six one, probably six foot without shoes on, and he's 36 years old. It's incredible that he's still bringing this sort of value um chris paul was obviously like right in this conversation until i think last season was really the last that we saw like of the best of chris paul it seems like he's dropped off quite a bit here but i don't know i do know that there are other eras where old players like had some nice seasons but i don't know it feels like guys like lebron kevin durant steph curry that they're at almost at a higher level than past eras D am i right in saying that or have you have you looked into this at all yeah, yeah, I have, I've looked into it over the years. I haven't checked uh, for the last couple of years, so I tried to sort of update the numbers before today's recording. And the one thing I'll say is it's very rare historically to be very, very good after like 35. So I, I think that's one thing that you might be picking up on right now where you're, you're thinking to yourself, uh, boy, you know, these high-level players at this age feel incredible. Um, but it, I would say that the numbers are small enough that it sort of depends on the periods of the superstars. So we had John Stockton and Carl Malone and Michael Jordan and even Akeem Olajuwon and David Robinson, like players like that had great success in the late nineties or early two thousands. Gary Payton is another one. And if you look at like really high level sort of 33, 34, 35-year-old seasons, maybe a 36-year-old season. You get a Carl Malone in there. You get a Michael Jordan in there, that kind of thing. And I think that's what you're looking at right now, where you have potentially Durant and Curry and LeBron and, as of a couple years ago, Chris Paul in that high end. But I think it also just depends on the, 
the class and the period of player. I mean, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar came in in 1970 and he was one of the best players in the league, you know, when he was like 37 himself. I think 30, 37 was 1985 and certainly in the regular season, he had a pretty big regular season. Um, and then another group of players almost a decade ago where you had Dirk Nowitzki, you had Kobe Bryant, you had Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, kind of mid-30s players like that. So I would say historically, it comes and goes. Reggie Miller's another guy who aged really well, right? So it kind of comes and goes and, and sort of feels like it depends on the class of superstars. It's almost like, to me, saying, was there a, you know, our draft class better now than ever before? It's more like, well, I don't know, you had the 84 draft class and you have the 96 draft class and it kind of comes and goes. And that's what it feels like with these players. And we, we may be coming back into a period now where a group of players who were born around a similar time are so great that their longevity is standing out at the high end. So, something like that, I think. So I'm looking at, I, I just picked a year. I went back to 1998, looking at some of these seasons here. And what I think is interesting, there's a couple of levels to this. Because if you look through uh, Basketball References database here, and you look at like the top 10 players by box plus minus, they're one of their impact stats. What, is it like eight out of the top 10 players are over 30? Right, So the majority of the best players by box plus minus at this point are over 30. But if we compare directly to this season, the oldest player in that bunch is John Stockton at 35. Right, like when we talk about the second three-peat Michael Jordan, it's like, oh, Michael Jordan at this certain age playing what he was thirty-four in nineteen eighty-eight, eighty-eight, nineteen ninety-eight. He was thirty-four in nineteen ninety-eight. Like if we think about LeBron, that was five years ago in terms of that age. Like Akeem Olajuwon's last like probably true great season was nineteen ninety-seven, and then you know you have Karl Malone, Shaq is twenty-five at that point, David Robinson is thirty-two, Scottie Pippen is thirty-two, Gary Payton is twenty-nine, Reggie Miller's thirty-two. But like you don't see besides like Stockton maybe getting up to forty and Karl Malone getting up to that age too. Not a lot of those guys really show a strong impact after the thirty-five, like you said, thirty-five, thirty-six year old season. Yeah, I mean, it's just technically, by the way, Jordan is February, a February birthday, so he's thirty-five. Mm in nine he's like missing the cutoff by like 17 days or something like that um so he, he's technically 35 but yes to your to your point um i think when i look at longevity historically i look at the 32 33 34 year old types of seasons as cutoffs because it's just so rare it, it takes like duncan and garnett i mean they both aged incredibly well they both played forever but even by the time you get to like their 35 or 36 season, you you can't get like 35 or 40 minutes a game from them. They're not going to make the all NBA team if the if the competition is stacked and things like that. But their permanent value, their value in situations or specific roles can still be very high. I think Stockton had that at the very, very end of his career, players like that. But if we look at the recent players and the reason why this was bouncing around in my head, and again, uh, everybody here is over 33. I'll try to call out the old guys. But you mentioned Mike Conley, uh, Al Horford. Mm-hmm. You know, we did the we did the video a couple years ago uh, against your Bucks. Um, you know, statistically, he had a great 2022 season at the age of 35. Chris Paul was 36 in the 2022 season, and I believe he turned 37 in the playoffs that year. If I'm if I'm getting my right, 
Yeah, I feel like there was like there's a whole thing where he turned 37 and he yeah. immediately like dropped off in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that might have been the da- did he turn 37 in the Dallas series? Because Chris Paul also has this thing of having his numbers go down in series, so mm-hmm. it might have been a combination of early in the series success and then his age. So you have a big game when you're older, and that's one of the that's one of the things as you add every year. I think when you look at the list of players here, we mentioned most of these guys. The other one I want to mention is Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler was 33 last year and what he was able to do in the postseason, uh, not not a spring chicken. Um, even James Harden's up there. DeMar DeRozan is up there. Your friend Brooke Lopez is in his 35-year-old season this year. We'll, we'll see what happens. Like Every time you get in this range, I always wonder, is this, is this, is this it? I feel like Max Kellerman... On, remember Max Kellerman when he had the cliff theory? Remember he's like, he, for like no. five years? He did his whole career on like whether Tom Brady's going to fall off a cliff. Um, but, you know, even a couple years ago, Mark Gasol, Pau Gasol, those guys, like, like there are these players that are quite good at 34, 35, 36. But I think, it's, I think you're just down to like case studies when you're talking about like the 38-year-old player who's great. The... Kareem and LeBron James, like the longevity kings. Okay. And maybe a few other guys here and there. I'm trying to look at the players that we would probably consider to be the best players in the league right now. You know, I've got names like Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Shea Gildas Alexander, Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Do you think that there's like looking at these other guys that have aged well and are performing really well? Do you think that there's like a, like, it's almost like drafting for old age. Do you think there's a way to look at some guys that are like in their late 20s and determine if they're going to be these guys that are successful to like 38? Because I'd be interested to see if we went back like 12 years and asked like, is LeBron James still going to be effective at 39? And I feel like some people might be like, without that jump shot, and he loses the athleticism. Like, what is he? Like, what is, is he going to be Ricky Davis out there? Like, is that the kind of player that we're going to see? So I, I'd be interested to see... Like, if we were to try and predict who's going to be the most successful, like 37, 38-year-olds, like how accurate we would be and what kinds of things we look for to indicate that in these players. Man, I was so wrong about LeBron's aging when he was, I would say even 2009. I remember in 2009, 2010, just like for that period and how athletic he was and his shot was not great in 2009. I think it started to come along, but Mm -hmm. just historically, he was not a a good outside shooter. Uh, I I just was like, what's going to happen when this guy loses his athleticism? And then somewhere a couple years later, I don't know if it was the end of Miami or when he got to Cleveland or whatever, then you really, the learning for me is like, you just really start to realize all the soft skills he has, all the, all the things I've talked about reading the game, the IQ, and then Cody's size. Mm-hmm. Size ages so well in basketball. So I would say size, feel, craft, sort of knowledge, IQ, awareness, ball skills. I think that's what's helping Steph Curry. I think you saw that with Reggie Miller. Like I kind of I, I kind of want to do a video. I don't know what it would be. I don't know if it would be on the More Thinking Basketball channel or it would be like a watch along. Like we've done some watch alongs with the NBA. Reggie Miller's last game would be a really interesting video. I'm pretty sure it was against the... It it was a playoff series, and I want to maybe say it was against the Pistons. I can't quite remember, but I think he had like 25 points in his last game. 
And you're just like, what the heck? Like, like we t- we take that for granted. I think John Havlicek had this, your favorite player ever, at like the end of his career. You just like take for granted how like a 37 or 39-year-old dude still knows all the tricks. But if you're in good cardio condition, like Curry, like Miller, like Ray Allen, players like that, and the ball skills, you have a great shot. And you just know how to play and where to be. As long as you don't get destroyed defensively i think those things help so it's some to me it's some combination of those factors what do you think all right we're gonna we're gonna go back to gym corner for a second here ben we're gonna go to gym corner for a second because i think when people talk think about lebron like the size of him the size and the athleticism the combination of those two things are like what blow people say like how is this guy so big but like you look at some of those clips in the video that you talked about and he he's just objectively smaller than he was uh, upper body wise I'm talking upper body then like 2013 like you go back to some of those peak Miami days like he was a tank like that dude had we're talking like capped delts kind of thing but then there's a there's an image in your video that I was watching and you know we're analyzing it like a bodybuilder type of thing like the chest development just isn't there like this isn't a guy that's spending his time in the gym like busting out what, reps of bench press like he's happening? not maxing what's out like he's not right now? Th- he, this is my point though he's not throwing like 250 on the bench press and like knocking it out what does age well like you said is you need to keep a level of strength like you look at the guy's legs and it's unbelievable like this guy must be able to lunge for miles right so i think like the strength in the lower body the hip strength the hip flexibility very flexible. That's why he does a lot of like the Pilates stuff using the his body weight to kind of do these movements. But then cardio, Ben. You got guys like Ray Allen who in his final season at 38 years old plays 73 games, 26 minutes per game, just running all over the place. Steph Curry, he's going to keep playing because he's just an unbelievable just cardio shape. Like the ability to just keep going because when we think about the body aging, like cardio isn't something that necessarily ages. Like marathon runners are able to go into their 40s and 50s and stuff. So that's something you're able to keep up while keeping a level of strength, but you can't keep the bulk that somebody like LeBron had. This is what Tim Duncan learned when he went into like the final run for the Spurs is he had to cut off some of that weight. So that that's just my little gym corner rant about, about LeBron and, and aging and strength and cardio and stuff like that. What's the can you summarize that for me? I don't know what I don't know what's going on right now. What Okay, here's the point. <laughs> size and strength is important. Yes. But you once you get older, you can't have too much size. Like there is actually a point where too much size is an issue. And so you need to start biasing towards like keeping like the required strength, especially in the lower body, but then focusing a lot more on the cardio aspect of it all. I think the cardio is something that people take for granted, especially when they're younger. And I think like you gotta keep that up while keeping the rest of the body like like, you know, not overtaxed when you try and throw in these other lifts out there. Well, you you asked the question about predicting, like, which of the stars are going to potentially age well. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look at the size and the craft and the ball skills and, and, and the conditioning and things like that, um, the players who have that, I think, are the ones who are going to age well. The players... Someone, someone has said this about LeBron, and I think in the comments on the video, someone put it in there. I can't remember. I apologize uh, who said this. But basically the idea that like Luca plays like an old man, so he's going to be ready to play when he's an old man. And what that means is tempo and patience. This is what we were talking about with uh, quickly earlier. You don't always want to go 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So, so if your top speed is 100 miles an hour that's great. You can just hit the jets and try to blow by as many people as you, as possible. 
but Luca's top speed is like 40 miles an hour. But he blows by dudes all the time because he's like, I'm going 10, I'm going 50. No, I'm going 40. No, I'm going 10. I'm going 40. It's the, it's the tempo and the patience and the change of pace. And when you have more tricks like that, uh, I think your game is going to age really well. So the, the players you mentioned, the one in my head is like Giannis, mm-hmm. where I'm like, the, the shot, I don't know about the shot. Giannis is like as pure of an athletic offensive and defensive dude as maybe I can possibly think of. I'm sure there were some slashers and wings from the George McGinnis era of the 70s and things like that that fit this bill as well. But I mean, his drives and his strides and the way he uses his body is extraordinary. What happens when that slows down if nothing else is added? Um, I don't know. Who else did you list? Was Were there other guys? You, you probably infuriated 25 fan bases because I think you only listed five players. <laughs> I do think Luka Doncic has the, has the potential to be very good older age. I do think the... The cardio aspect, you know, we're going to go there. Like, if he can keep himself in good shape, he should be able to play for a long time because he does play like an old man, and it's excellent, right? The game is very paced. I think both Jokic and Embiid, you know, we talked last time, I mentioned the fact that I think Embiid is like a a low-motor type of player. Like, he's not somebody out there that's gunning at every possession, and if he can kind of save himself like that, like, the size, he's unbelievable in the paint, the passing ability, the shooting, as long as he can stay healthy, like, and obviously that's a big what if, like that's what happens with these big guys. And that's what I want to see with both Jokic and Embiid is how does being a seven footer like play into this? Like, are they going to be able to be like Kareem and play into their their deep 30s or even early 40s? Well, I, it, the weight is the thing, the conditioning <clears throat> and the weight, you know, the more weight you have on your body, you mentioned it, I think the harder it is. So that's the big question for me with Embiid is that combination of health and then like you know, Shaq was obviously enormous and, and one of a kind and bigger than Embiid, but Shaq's last good season was 30, 33, 34 years old, something in that range. Um, if you go way back, like Wilt Chamberlain, when he got big at the end of his career in Los Angeles, but he, he kept himself in such great conditioning. And at that point in time, the movement, you know, the other thing is the movement demands of the game and how that relates to space. And, you know, if you lose, if you lose a superpower, if you lose lateral movement, what does that mean? Um, I don't know. Kevin, Kevin Durant's like 6'10", and mm-hmm. he's an incredible shooter, and he's averaging 30 points a game. I, it's hard for me. I've said this before. It's hard for me to see <coughs> how Kevin Durant really just doesn't continue to age super well, at least as a scorer. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like I could see he's, he's slender. He doesn't have to carry a lot of weight. I could see 37, 30 or 38 year old sort of like a later version of Kevin Durant just being like, eh, I'm a 20 point per game score. I'm a, I'm a guy who shoots a lot of threes and average 20 points per game on this good team. Just put me over there. I'll just make some play. Put me in the post if you need a bucket, you know, I don't know. It would be amazing because you know, all these guys hire Olajuwon to teach them post moves. What if like, <laughs> what if Durant's final act was hiring Reggie Miller and it's just like, teach me how to run. Teach me how to just go everywhere. And that's all I'm going to do. It's like, I'm not going to handle any handling responsibilities. I'm just going to go out there. I'm going to be a movement shooter. And he could probably average 20 points for the next 10 years. Well, I guess that's the last part of predicting longevity or like anything basketball is the personality, mm-hmm. right? Like trying to figure out the direction the player is going to go in. Um, you know, Durant, Durant always brings it, I think when he plays, but it's a very much like free flowing jazz. I want to get out there. I want to get into my rhythms and things Mm -hmm. like that. 
uh, versus the, the calculating, like, how can I go in and add? What could I do? What could I do for the next act of my career? Could I become a cardio monster? Could I start running marathons just so I can run around? I think these these are all these are all components of it. I don't know. We've circled the wagons here today. Do you have anything else you'd like to say about this? You know, just as a final thought, I am looking at this list of of top players in the league. I think it's tough to like point at somebody and be like, "Yep, they're still going to be successful at 38." I think it's a tougher exercise than people than people might think. I think some of these guys we have right now, Curry, Durant, and LeBron, like obviously they're special, but the fact that they're doing it, I don't think we should necessarily take for granted and be like, "This is what the next generation of athletes will be like." Yeah, it's not easy because you sometimes have competing forces. Forget mm. the personality, forget the health. You just have competing forces. So Steph Curry's really small, but he's also insanely skilled as a shooter. And his shooting has suffered a little bit, I think, in the last couple of years. As he's gotten older, as it's harder to get more separation, as defenses have changed around him and things like that. So on one hand, it's like, wow. Steph Curry at this age for a small guard is playing out of his mind. On the other hand, it's like, yeah, you can see how the age chips away at him and it's hard to predict how much longer that's going to last. Or I don't know. I think some players, some players you can see the pathway, especially when they're tall and big men and the game doesn't have to change that much. And other players, you know, it's, it's, it's a big ask to try to say this guy's going to be great at just 34, 35. I think that's an interesting cutoff age. When you look at so many players, it's rare to still be in your prime and be really, really good when you're 35 years old in the NBA. I think the Holmgren Wembenyama combo is going to be interesting because they're not bulky big men. So I'm going to obviously keep an eye on them, but I think they're really interesting candidates for being able to play in their deep 30s. If you want to support us, check out patreon.com slash thinking basketball. Uh, that's where we get access to the stats that we've referenced throughout this show. Cody pulling up the leaderboard of players talking about team stats and, and things like that. Patreon.com slash thinking basketball. Uh, otherwise, I mean, thanks for listening all the way through. We didn't have any good stories about owls today, so I, I apologize. I was hoping we could get a raccoon story in here or something like that. I'm not sure how popular the uh, the owl story was. Listen, listen, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you have feedback about stuff like the YouTube, the More Thinking Basketball YouTube channel, I'll actually interact with you once in a while. But if you like go and like complain about me over on Spotify, I'm never going to see it. Never. Go interact with me. If you hate my owl story or if you love the owl story, tell me. Go tell me. I liked the owl story. I, I, I thought, thought it was good. I, thought some, I think people wanted a bigger payoff with the owl story. That's what it was. I think they wanted a bigger payoff. I thought something was going to happen. I thought the it was going to be an incident with the owl. It was more like you just didn't know that an owl waddled, right? I think that's the point, though, is I didn't expect like an owl to be the outcome of it. I think you all you all just had to be there. It, it scared me. It scared me so much. Uh, that is it uh, for this one. Appreciate your time and uh, hope you're having a great day. 